What's up, you guys? So I just wanted a little bit of a change in environment today. I wanted an excuse to just get out of my office. Honestly, I just need a little bit more time amongst these trees. I mentioned really quick on one of my most recent videos about how it's really important as a neurodivergent, but especially as an autistic person, to be very mindful of following advice that we see on media and in books. I feel like now that advice is so popularized and everyone's giving their two cents all the time, people who are just talking about their personal experiences all the way to mental health professionals giving advice. And so when things like that happen, I feel like a lot of the times neurodivergent people, but especially autistic people, we really cling on to things like that because for once it's like clear, direct instructions basically to follow in certain social situations or in our interpersonal relationships where we're just like, yes, for once we don't have to figure it out the hard way. For once we don't have to do all this guesswork. We could actually just follow these instructions and everything will work out, right? But the truth is, is that a lot of the times these advice aren't made and catered towards people like us. And so if you're not careful about it, if you don't exercise your own discernment, it could actually do more harm than good. What I wanted to do on today's video is go through some of the videos I've gathered within the past few weeks of just advice that we hear all the time is so normalized and for many people would actually work, but for people like us is not really applicable in the same ways and we wouldn't normally benefit from it either in the ways that other people would. I wanted to talk through why. And again, I'm not pinholing every autistic person into the same box. The advice that I'm going to be reacting to in today's video could work for some autistic people. Likewise, the advice could be very obsolete for non-autistic people, but that is up to you guys in terms of what is applicable to you and what isn't. I'm just here to speak on, you know, my own experiences and what my thoughts and opinions are and have that be like a jumping off point for other people out there who may not know how to express what their experiences are. Sometimes I get so tired of just 
putting disclaimers out there all the time, but you guys have no idea how many freaking comments I get of just people complaining and complaining and complaining about every little thing. I'm still trying to figure out how to balance all that, but for the most part, the only way I could see myself doing right by myself and those people is to just put disclaimers. Maybe that'll change in the future or the near future, but for now, that is just where I am at. Maybe I'll reach a point where I don't care, but anyways. Moving on to the videos. I think I'm gonna be single forever because I don't want to teach somebody to think about me. You know, I keep seeing all these women talking about how like, oh yeah, I had to tell my boyfriend that I wanted him to like plan more dates for us and I wanted us to go on more date nights. Or I had to tell my husband that I wanted him to take pictures of me with the kids because every time I go out, I'm the one taking all the pictures so like I'm never in them. Or I had to like tell my boyfriend that like, I want gifts for Christmas and my birthday that are actually about what I like and not just what he likes. I don't want to have to teach somebody to think of me. Like, because when I'm with my girlfriends, like, I don't have to do anything at all. You know what I mean? Like, when I'm with my girlfriends, they take candid shots of me all the time. They offer to take pictures of, like, us together. Like, if they see something out in the wild that they think I would like, at the very least, they'll, like, take a picture and send it to me to, like, brighten my day. Like... For my last Christmas present for my best friend, it wasn't expensive, but she bought me a necklace with my favorite birthstone, with my birthstone. And I just, I don't want to have to teach somebody how to do that. Like, I don't want to have to teach somebody to consider me in their day. Like, I would much, much rather just be by myself. Okay, so I'm going to try to approach this as nuanced as I can because there's a lot of parts of what she said that I actually agree and resonate with. Like, you shouldn't have to teach someone to care and to consider you. But here's the part where I feel like this advice should be taken with a grain of salt, especially if you're autistic. When I hear all the specific ways that her friends show up for her and she therefore kind of expects her partners show up for her, I start to feel this intrinsic panic because as an autistic person, I'm just like, I would not know how to meet all those needs. I wouldn't know that she had those needs. And so therefore, if I were to put myself in the shoes of her partner, I would just be riddled with anxiety every single day trying to figure out what I need to do for her and how to meet her needs without her communicating anything to me. Yes, to some people, this could be doable, right? It may not be asking too much. For some autistic people even, I feel like maybe, yeah, sure, it wouldn't be hard or whatever, but I wouldn't know that she would want a necklace with her birthstone on it. You know what I'm saying? And so unless she exclusively told me that, how would I know that that's something I would have to do for her? This is something that I've seen again and again in different words on my TikTok for you page. And it's never in an ironic way. It's always in a way where everyone in the comments are like, yes, that's so true. Like you shouldn't have to teach someone how to love you. You shouldn't have to say what you want and what you need. They should just already be there and know what to do and how to do it. And it's just not super applicable for an autistic person because yes, we do have to teach people how to show up for us. We do have to teach someone what we like because a lot of the times autistic people have almost like 
multiple lives going on, especially when you're a high masking autistic, right? A lot of the times when we do enter these relationships, there is a huge process of teaching your other counterpart more about your authentic self and what those needs are, how to accommodate you. A lot of the times those accommodations aren't necessarily applicable to an average person. And so yes, there is responsibility there for you to know what you expect from your partner, but also to know that if you expect that from your partner, you have to exclusively teach your partner how to show up for you. In a sense, we don't get the luxury of just having a list of expectations of what we need and to never communicate it and to just expect the other person to know automatically and to just be able to step in and show up perfectly. We don't have that luxury. And so what is the most helpful for us is to actually be able to have a safe space to directly communicate every single time what those specific needs are. And at the end of the day, that actually serves us best is to have that clear communication. That isn't necessarily the same as teaching someone to care about you and to consider you, right? And that's the nuance here is that your partner could love you so much and could want to consider you so much, but they may not know how to do it, right? It's not their job to figure it out and to just like go investigating. That's just unrealistic to me, autistic or not. Everyone's gonna be different, right? And I respect everyone's differing opinions. But for me, I feel like it's just unrealistic to expect people in your life to spend so much time analyzing and observing you and trying to figure out what all your needs are and how to meet those needs with zero communication. Everyone is an adult. Everyone has their own stuff going on. Everyone has their own set amount of spoons. Like, I'm not even talking about autism anymore. Like, neurotypicals have spoons throughout the day as well that they use up or whatever. And so for me to expect, let's say, 20 people in my life to know exactly what to do for me and to consider me in that way is just unreasonable. I don't expect that of others and I don't want others to expect that of me is another thing. And maybe this kind of goes into, you know, PDA autism, but the thought that people expect so many things of me and it's all invisible, it's all under the surface, it's not communicated clearly, just gives me so much anxiety. It's just so much weight and pressure put onto me and it's just too much. That is the very reason why for so much of my life I struggled with female friendships. Why I struggled with friendships in general is because there's so many unspoken expectations. I don't know how to meet those expectations. You feel at some point undeserving of other people's presence in your life because you feel like you're constantly failing them all the time when in reality you would want to put that effort into showing up for them. You just don't know how. A metaphor for this is let's say they secretly expect me to show up in this area with them and most people would be able to see that and show up there right for me it's like I put all this effort and I show up here and so like they can't even appreciate my efforts because I just didn't know how to expend my energy in the way that they needed me to. And so that's why I think it's important to always be communicating directly what your needs are. And it doesn't have to mean the other person doesn't care. I think we need to stop equating 
direct communication and asking someone of something directly as them not caring to meet your needs. Again, I thought if my partner would just tell me, she would just speak up for herself. She would just tell me X, Y, and Z. Don't make me guess. Just let me know exactly what you want. I'll do those things because I care about you. But if you really care about someone, they shouldn't have to spell it X, Y, and Z. We should already be paying attention. Here's the kicker. And I really hope that anyone has the bravery and the courage to hear this part. For my partner to get to the level of extreme, clear, concise language about exactly what she would need. She had to no longer care what my answer was. Yes, in some instances, you could blatantly tell someone what your needs are and give them clear directions and they still don't care, right? And they still don't meet your needs. Those people don't care. That sucks, yes. But there's also so many other people out there, autistic or not, that just don't know what your needs are. Like you're not the only person in their life. They have probably so many other things they have to tend to. They have their own personal issues. They have their own routines and career to upkeep. They have other people in their lives. They have other family members. You're not the only person. You shouldn't expect them to just constantly be watching you and seeing what they have to do for you. They're not your servant. They're not your butler. If my husband tells me that he's gonna make me dinner and that he's gonna take care of the dishes and that I don't have to do anything, I can sit on the couch and do nothing or do whatever I wanna do. There is still part of me that feels like I should get up and help anyway. Or at the very least, like I should check in with him periodically throughout making dinner and doing the dishes to make sure that he doesn't need my help or there's nothing that I could do. Because maybe halfway through he changed his mind and now he wants me to help or he expects me to help. And that's my responsibility, right? To pick up on that. And maybe if I don't do those things, even if he told me that he doesn't want me to do anything and that there's nothing that I can be doing, if he changed his mind and I didn't pick up on it and change the way that I was acting, maybe when he comes and sits down after dinner and doing dishes, he's gonna be mad at me because I didn't do those things. That is what being raised in a narcissistic family dynamic does to you. So that is such a great example of what goes through my mind in those types of moments where someone has invisible expectations of me. You're literally on edge. You're just like, oh my God, what do I have to do? I have to do something, but I don't know what it is. Uh, should I do this or that? But is that not right? Oh, maybe I, I don't know what to do. It's so intense and so much mental and emotional energy, not even getting to the actual doing part, right? For what? For what? There's so many times where traits of autism is compared to traits of people who have PTSD or CPTSD. It's super apparent in experiences like this because she's speaking on specifically like what goes through someone's mind in moments like that when you've previously had narcissistic relationships with other people in your life. And I feel like in many ways that is a lot of autistic experiences is just like being riddled with so much anxiety because there's all of these invisible expectations and you just don't know when you have to meet them or how you have to meet them but you just feel that impending dread of consequences if you don't meet them if you're watching this autistic or not i don't really care don't be afraid of communicating clearly and directly it's not going to hurt anyone and it's actually going to be super helpful for the other person but also you as well to be able to practice knowing what you want how you want it and to communicate that to the loved ones in your life
Okay, so I've been seeing a lot of videos like this too on my For You page, just basically talking about how you know when you're with the wrong person because you get all of these physical symptoms. And I feel like this type of ideology and advice could be very, very harmful in many ways because you can't, you just can't do that. Like you can't equate physical health symptoms to it meaning that you're with the wrong person. There's people out there that just have health issues. And it has nothing to do with another person or the relationship. It's just health issues. That simple. To fathom that there's people out there that will take this advice super seriously. Let's say they are on a date or they're dating someone and they really, really vibe with that person. And then all of a sudden you get a tummy ache or all of a sudden you're experiencing blow and you're just like, you know what? I'm not compatible with them and my body is responding to that incompatibility. So I'm just going to not talk to them anymore. Like that is insane to me. What if that person is objectively really compatible with you, but because you had a tummy ache or because you have IBS or because you have endometriosis or you have chronic pain, you're just like, you know what? Nah, like if, if this person was right for me, I would have no health issues or no physical symptoms. Yes, I understand in some instances that could be true. Let's say someone is generally really healthy, generally doesn't have any physical symptoms, and they enter an unhealthy relationship with the person and they start to feel more stress and they start to get more physical symptoms. Yes, those could be signs. But the thing is, this advice isn't inclusive of people with dysregulated nervous systems in general or dysfunctional nervous systems. For those out there who have PTSD or are neurodivergent or both, we oftentimes will experience higher levels of stress when we're just out in the world in general, let alone interacting with people, regardless of how much love and trust is there. So yes, let's say you hypothetically have friends that you feel really safe with or family members that you trust a lot and you still may feel physical health symptoms by being around them. That's just how it is. We can't necessarily take those physical health symptoms and equate it to some definitive sign that this person or this relationship is just not good. That's why a lot of the times I feel like what is more helpful for people like us is not listening to your gut instinct necessarily or how your body is responding to a person or situation, but more so about when you are dysregulated, regulate yourself, have those practices in place, and then once you get yourself to a baseline of regulation, then utilize your discernment in trying to figure out, okay, how do I feel about this? Does this apply to me? Do I take this seriously? What about this is something I could take and what about it can I leave? How do I want to respond from a regulated place? And then making those decisions, formulating those opinions from that state. You can't rely on your body in those moments and have those gut reactions in that sense because you would actually end up making decisions or forming opinions that are not necessarily good for you, if that makes sense. If someone is attracted to you, they're going to do this with their facial expressions. Reading body language and micro expressions is a superpower and let me show you how to do it. Today we're going to get close and personal. Okay, so the face is a book and there's a language in which you need to learn in order to read it. So micro expressions happen within milliseconds and you need to be quick with reading the face and the different muscles and what they represent. So the most popular one is attraction. When someone is attracted to you, a lot of things are going to look a little different than the baseline of someone's emotional state through their face. Something you're going to see a lot is embarrassment because if they're trying to conceal the fact that they're into you, their face is going to show. So you'll notice their chin quiver like this. 
and this is a lot different than this. You're going to notice that their chin is actually slightly downward and they're looking through their eyebrows at you and being flirtatious with their eyes like this. You're also going to notice that their cheeks and maybe even the entirety of their face is going to be flushed a bit and attraction will look something like this. And guys, when someone is attracted to you, their eyeballs go wild because they are just scanning your face and checking you out. Like I've mentioned before, they're going to look at one eye to the other down at your lips and smile. And then you're also going to see the flash, so it's going to look like this. It happened really fast, so you have to get used to reading these expressions pretty quickly. Also, you're going to notice the whites of the top of their eyes are going to show because this is a neuro response. It's also a physical response where they're taking the image of you in so they can remember it. It's kind of like at the end of a long day and you think about like your crush and how cute they were and how nice their eyes looked or their hair looked today. Um, you're really storing that information for later when you think about them. It's kind of cute. Is this the face of someone that likes you? I just cannot with that video. Like, I cannot with body language videos because if you apply that to an average autistic person, like, you would not be able to read them properly at all. Maybe it applies to some autistic people. I don't know. Maybe that applies to some neurotypical people. I don't know. Or maybe it doesn't even apply to neurotypical people as well. But, like, first of all, eye movement has nothing to do with whether or not you like someone. So many of what she said honestly just frustrated me because she was saying how like if someone's moving around your face and like looking at all different parts of your face, they like you. And I'm just thinking to myself, no, that's just me processing what the other person's saying. Or like her saying, um, if someone likes you, they'll make eye contact with you and look up and down and up and down. And I'm just like, no, I'm the type of person where if I like someone, I will go out of my way to not look at them and never interact with them. <laughs> like if there was a bunch of people in a room and I liked someone in the room, I would look at everyone and everything except that person. I will not be caught dead looking them straight in their eyes and doing all of that like eye contact flirting thing that she's talking about that indicates you like a person. And that's the thing is that I know the majority of people resonate with what she says and actually take it seriously. And that's part of what makes this so mind-blowing. And that's part of like what contributes to my social anxiety sometimes is because I know that there's certain things that I'll do that doesn't indicate anything specific, but people will take it and they attach meaning to it. So for example, there's been times where let's say someone is talking to me. One of my stims is to bite my lip because I have like dry skin on my lip and so sometimes when I'm paying attention to them and I really want to soak in what they have to say I'll like start biting my lip and try to get the dead skin off the bottom of my lip but to the other person it looks like I'm trying to flirt or I'm trying to be sexual and then I'll think to myself oh Irene someone's probably going to interpret this sort of like 
combination of facial and body expression and movements as you flirting. So even though this is something that you want to do just on your own, it has nothing to do with you flirting or liking them. You have to now stop because you don't want them to interpret you in an inaccurate way. Or likewise, there's so many times where if I know someone likes me, I will go out of my way to just never interact with them because I am so scared of them taking all of these little micro movements as indications that I'm encouraging them to pursue me or that I like them back. And I'm just like, oh my God, am I supposed to make eye contact with them? But what if they think that means I like them back? Or what if I respond to them and they think I like them back and I don't so what does this mean like do I have to just never interact with them at all like that's a safe bet but maybe other people giving advice would say like oh if she's ignoring you that means she wants you to try harder or she's just playing hard to get or whatever and then you start to like think yourself into an abyss where you're just like I have no autonomy over my own actions and what I want to do without someone else projecting their own interpretations onto me and it's just so stressful all of her very specific reasons of how to interpret someone's eye movements is so frustrating to me because as a neurodivergent person, our eye movements a lot of the times don't have anything to do with how we're feeling. It's more so about how we're processing information in our brains. I think in general, I don't really resonate with body language people because I just feel like every time I hear them explain in depth like what a certain thing means. I've heard things like, oh, if someone's looking to the left or looking to the right or they won't make eye contact with you, then, oh my God. Okay, so if I find this video, I'll put it in. So here are the four signs that somebody is not really genuine in your life and actually they may be a Judas. I'm gonna be helping you to learn how to discern for those of you who are struggling to discern spiritually. Let's use psychology. Lack of eye contact. As we've just been talking about the eyes, it makes sense to talk about this next. When you are talking, are they actually looking at you, engaging in the conversation, or are they kind of looking around? When I say looking around, I don't mean looking around in disinterest, but it's like for some reason, they're still continuing the conversation, they're still asking you questions, but it's just like, hmm, yeah, wow, that's interesting, yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole thing, oh, so how's your, um, how's your partner? Mm, okay. No. Look right here. And I know some people genuinely do struggle to keep eye contact, but you will see the difference between somebody who is just, you know, they're a little bit fidgety sometimes versus somebody who is on purpose, like they will not look at you for a long time. Also, this is usually when you are in, um, have a close friendship or relationship with this person. They should not still be struggling to look at you if you guys are truly friends and if they're asking you personal details. If they're doing that, please, please begin to put them in the Judas aisle. And I remember just like face palming so hard because I'm just like, okay then you're not going to be friends with autistic people because a lot of the times we don't want to make eye contact it's not helpful for us it's too overstimulating or we may not understand you as well if we're making eye contact i've heard so many people like her attach meanings to again eye contact whether or not you're making eye contact, how you're making eye contact. And a lot of the times those are just simply not applicable to neurodivergent, especially autistic people. Because if I'm not making eye contact with you, I probably am more in tune with what you're saying and what you're doing than if I am, you know? But yes, that is going to conclude today's video. I hope 
this has been interesting for you guys. Have you guys ever taken advice that you thought would work and you figured out the hard way that it's just not really applicable to you in the ways that it is to other people? I would also love to hear what you guys have to think about the advice that I included in today's video and what you guys think about it. Other than that, thank you guys for tuning in on today's video. Make sure you take some time today to regulate yourself and I will see you on next week's video. Bye guys.